0: Hi everyone, my name is Sophia Chiani and I am the host of the New Fashion Initiative. So today we will be speaking to Sandra Goldmark. She is a designer, teacher and entrepreneur whose work focuses on circular economy, economy solutions to overconsumption and climate change. She is a professor and director of sustainability at Bernard College and the author of the upcoming book, Fixation, How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet. Thank you so much for taking this time to speak to us today.
1: Thank you, Sophia, it's nice to be here.
0: Awesome. So why don't we start with what got you interested in sustainability? Why did you decide to pursue a career in sustainability?
1: Um, Well, I began my career as a theatrical set designer uh, and I taught design at Barnard College. I still do. Um, And I got really interested in sustainability as as part of my professional life, basically by designing so many shows over the years. I, I designed hundreds and hundreds of shows for theaters around the country. And uh, after watching nearly all of that scenery go into dumpsters, I felt that I had personally filled my lifetime quotient of dumpsters. And I, and I had to sort of somehow bridge the gap between what I cared about personally, i.e. the environment and the things I did at work every day. So I started finding ways to work on sustainability in my theater work. Um, I founded a social enterprise to focus on repair and reuse. Um, And I began working on climate action at Barnard.
0: That's really interesting. Could you tell us more about that social enterprise that you founded?
1: So I started a small organization called Fix Up, and we operated um, dozens of repair and reuse events and shops around New York City over the course of six years. Um, We fixed thousands of objects and um, learned a huge amount about our individual and our collective relationship with our stuff. And I've just, just now, actually, just finished writing a book that kind of tells that story of all of those repairs and how we can use the lessons from that repair shop to um, build a healthier model, both individually and systemically.
0: And so how did you get the inspiration to write this book? What are you going to be focusing on? Like, what niche do you think that you're filling?
1: The idea of the book is it's, a, it's kind of a personal and accessible story, but it's really trying to outline a path forward, a clear way forward for our stuff. I like to say that um, stuff is just like food. You know, it comes from the earth. Uh, we make it with our hands and we bring it into our homes in the case of stuff or into our bodies in the case of food. And we've really begun to rethink food, the way we um, make it and what it does to our to our health, to the communities where it's grown and to the planet. And I think we can apply some of that knowledge to our stuff and, and have some, some, uh, a simple way to renegotiate that relationship because the way we consume, the way we make and consume things, both food and stuff is quite literally breaking the planet.
0: Definitely. And so can you tell us more about your work with regards to consumption and circularity? So one of the kind of central
1: components of my philosophy of moving forward is the idea that circular economy solutions have to be a key, both for individuals and for businesses. Um, So what that means is that um, you may have heard the phrase close the loop, right? That means that basically we need to transition from a linear model where we extract resources from the earth, manufacture things, use them and throw them away. And turn it into a circular model where the materials and the resources that go into any given object are first kept in in use for as long as possible through repair, through exchange, through reuse, and second at the end of life of any given object that the raw materials are reclaimed and fed back into some other product or some other system. Um, and that whole concept, that's like the basic concept of the circular economy, but it can seem kind of abstract. And, you know, if you say to the average person on the street, well, you should start living in the circular economy, they might look at you with kind of a blank look and be like, thanks, I don't know what that means. but Or I don't know how to do that, you know, tomorrow on a practical level. But one of the things fixation, my book is starting to talk about is that in terms of stuff, it's really quite simple. There are simple steps we can take right now to um, begin to actually practice and live in the circular economy and those steps are also things that businesses can scale and amplify to develop sustainable sources of revenue more than just making and selling new stuff
0: and so what advice would you give to people who really care about climate change and their their uh, carbon footprint what can they do to really have an impact
1: well there's a million things you can do i mean climate change is a huge problem obviously and um as as we know from looking at the work of things like Project Drawdown, there is no one solution. So when you talk about climate change broadly, you can be talking about solutions that have to do with renewable energy or solutions that have to do with oceans or water or food. Um, But on an individual level, um, there are a few key things that we can look at, um, specifically, you know, travel, food. And in fact, stuff is a significant portion of of our carbon footprint. So the part of that that I really focus on, obviously, is the stuff. It comes from my background as a designer. And um, some of the steps that I talk about in the book are, for example, when you do buy new stuff, to um, be really careful about what you buy, that it's sustainably and ethically produced, um, to try to buy not too much of it, to it's just like food, you know, if you have too much food, it's not good for you. And if you have too much stuff, it's not good for you. And a uh, really important one is to buy as much used stuff as you can. So that doesn't just mean increase your stuff diet, it means transition from thinking of of shopping as something that means new, to thinking that a significant proportion of the things that you bring into your home should be reclaimed. Um, And then that we need to care for our stuff. So repair, maintenance, um, refurbishing, all needs to become part of how we think about um, our responsibility to the things we own. And then the last part is about passing it on, that once you're done with something, to find a way to get it back into circulation for somebody who can use it.
0: And in terms of businesses, what advice would you give to them when they're trying to be more sustainable?
1: Um, well, again, specifically for businesses that work in, in you know, manufacturing or retail, generally in the, in the world of stuff, um, the same principles apply, but uh, from a business perspective, meaning that the key is to develop revenue streams that are not just about making and selling more new stuff. So many businesses are locked into the traditional linear model, where they're expected to grow every quarter and show increased sales, and that those increased sales typically only come from new things. And what that means is a sort of push and a drive to extract more rich materials from the earth every you know every quarter, make more stuff and sell it to people, even if people don't need it anymore. Um, but by using some of these circular economy strategies companies can begin to develop revenue in the area of reuse you can see it exploding already in fashion um, in the area of repair which is starting but much much more in its infancy and that also means changing the way they design so that you're designing products or lines that
0: take these ideas into consideration and do you think it's hard or costly to operate a sustainable business especially for startups Um, sure,
1: it can be. Um, But I think that the idea of sustainability as necessarily more expensive, or even, you know, historically, it was sometimes viewed as a luxury thing. I think that is changing and needs to change and really has changed. I don't think it's um, necessarily the case anymore, that just because something's sustainable, it's more difficult or more pricier, more niche. That is sometimes the case, but it's not, um, it's not uniform, and it's, it's really rapidly not becoming the case, and hopefully will become even more rapidly as governments begin to put the right policies and incentives.
0: And so obviously a lot of this is about education, and so as an educator, as a professor, uh, what do you think we can do to make environmental education more accessible, and how can we make it better?
1: Mm. Well, that's another big one. Okay, so you're sort of speaking to me with my other hat on in terms of my work at Barnard on climate action. They're obviously linked. Um, again, I, in terms of this, the stuff stuff, I do think a big part of it, again, is changing that perception that that sustainability has to be inaccessible or a luxury. Sustainability can actually be something that is incredibly accessible and familiar. Like, you know, buying used stuff is, is available to almost everybody and it's... Um, and it's one of the most sustainable ways you can shop. I also think very simply in terms of more broader climate action, one of the things we can do is really begin listening more carefully to the students, to the younger generation. We don't need to convince them. I don't think that's the problem anymore. (laughs) It's more the other way of getting, um, especially governments and policymakers to really listen to the youth movement. So one of my big pushes at Barnard is to, create platforms and allow, find ways to get our students' voices amplified and heard.
0: And so what advice would you give to young people who are passionate about sustainability, especially career advice?
1: Wow, so many things. Number one, I would say is no matter what career you might go into, you can be a sustainability professional and you should, because we don't actually need well, we do need more, but we don't only need more sustainability professionals. We need journalists, doctors, lawyers, scientists. We need people in every single profession thinking about this and working to transform those industries. Um, so it almost doesn't matter what you're studying or where you're heading. You can take this work and you can begin to transform your indus- the industry that you go into. So that's my first piece of advice, to think of yourself as kind of a climate action warrior um, no matter where you go, and in some ways, especially if you go into a field that's not typically associated with sustainability, you're almost more needed there. The other thing I say to students is that I really think it's important to um, find ways to connect the dots between small-scale action and big systemic change. Some of my students often feel frustrated that they feel like something they do at the local level or even the individual level, like it doesn't matter, it doesn't add up, And of course, on its own, it might not matter, whatever that means. But I think that um, there is a direct connection between the things we do in our homes, in our personal lives, in our communities, and how we begin to really come together for large-scale systemic change. So I like to make sure that students are, hope that they feel empowered um, to find those connections and see how you can build from what might feel like something like, oh, this is so small, to understand that it really does matter and it really is part of a large um, collective movement.
0: That's great advice. And so kind of pivoting, um, is there anything you would like people to know about circularity in your work or can you walk us through your day-to-day? What do you really want?
1: My day-to-day is fun. I mean, I I have a whole lot of exciting projects on the burner. I have the book, I have my teaching, I have my work on the Barnard campus. Um, but really, all of them are about um, finding ways. Like I said, to, to how to, how do we begin to make these changes? How do we make the changes individually, and how do we make them in our organizations, and ultimately at the global scale? Um, so that can be as small as like you know <laughs> repairing something in one of my repair shops one day, to working on strategy at Barnard College for the whole campus, to trying to frame an argument in my book for how um, repair needs to be part of like a kind of global shift towards circularity. So I try hard to sort of keep all the work, um, no matter what scale it's at, pointing towards the same goal.
0: And so how do you think your background as a designer has really influenced your, your choices, your career path, and really like your day-to-day life in general?
1: Um, I think my background as a designer, I was, a, as I said, a theatrical set designer and some costumes, but mostly scenery. I think my background as a designer has really informed almost everything about what, I'm, what I do. Um, First of all, I still teach design and I design shows still. So I'm, I'm in it still. But I think more importantly, um, it's given me a number of things. One is this capacity to start with a really small idea and to know that like with small steps, we'll get there. Like when you're first designing a show, it's, you just have a script and like a couple little ideas and some research photos. But there's a process a collaborative process to get there to get to opening night and you know it works you know that that process works um especially if you if you have a team to kind of um work with so that idea of design thinking and iterative work and getting somewhere big through a series of small collaborative steps has really um shaped i think the way i approach everything it's also working as a designer has made me very sensitive to waste because there's so much waste in, you know, in the way we make things um, and also, you know, very sensitive to, to material culture to the objects around us and how they shape our stories and how we might kind of, you know, write a healthier story.
0: And so on the topic of fashion the fashion industry so what changes would you like the fashion industry as a whole to implement over the next 10-15 years or where would you like to see the fashion industry being in 10-15 years in regards to sustainability
1: Well fashion this for me applies not just to fashion but to all material goods all goods basically um, I would love to see a much smaller percentage of goods sold that are new and that those new goods that are sold should be high quality, repairable, durable. Um, They should be made uh, under ethical conditions by people who are making a good wage. Um, I would love to see anybody who's working in making or selling clothes or stuff to be making a large percentage of their income from, from resale, from used goods um, or from repair. Basically, I think that, um, just making new stuff can no longer be the business model. There has to be a balanced business model that where new stuff is balanced with used stuff and with, with service or repair.
0: And are there any particularly innovative companies or organizations that you've seen or that you admire that have been implementing these approaches?
1: Yeah, I mean, the real leaders in this front in terms of apparel are Patagonia, REI, um, Eileen Fisher, because those three companies are all companies where you can buy something new that is high quality and ethically made. You can buy something used right from the company's own website. And you can even now um, from two out of the three, buy something repaired directly from the company. So it's really, really.
0: That is really exciting. And obviously it's hard to like talk about all of this with the elephant in the room, which is COVID-19. And so how do you think COVID-19 has affected the fashion industry, if at all?
1: Um, I don't know so much about the fashion industry specifically um but COVID-19 is going to affect all of these questions in a big way we don't know yet you know they're the optimists who hope that it's going to sort of shock everybody into saying well we can't go back to business as usual and we have to rebuild sustainably and then there's a more pessimistic view that says that, yes that's true but we're going to be under such economic pressure that we're we we're just going to have to you know be making a living and maybe there won't be any room to be sort of rethinking things. I think no matter what, big shocks like this, um, they do cause change and they do, uh, they do shake up the status quo. And so I think we all really just have to try to um, help tilt things toward the former scenario where we're, we're not rebuilding the, the same old, same old, but really rethinking um, and building a new normal.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And so I guess for our final question, post COVID, when the industry gets back up on its feet, what do you think are the most important circular approaches that brands should implement?
1: Stop selling so much
0: new stuff. Period. (laughs) (laughs) Noted. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing all this advice and wisdom with our audience. I'm sure everyone will really learn a lot and admire everything that you've done. So again, thank you.
1: Thank you very much.